How would you best prep yourself to make money in the upcoming Roaring Twenties? There's influencers out there. There's people that have power. Use that. Build that hype machine. I promise you, the buyers of today's world are sitting on social media watching what's happening. Go online. Google the trade shows that are happening this year. A lot of them are virtual. And just walk the shows. That's where you're going to network. That's where you're going to meet people. If I had no money to invest and I was broke and I needed to start from scratch, I would literally buy a one-way ticket to Bentonville and park my fucking ass there. And in five years, I guarantee I'd be a millionaire. America is going back to work. We are about to turn the page on a pandemic. Just show Just everything. Just show everything. Everything. And that's, that's what we the did. Keyword. And so people everything. really started getting interested. They're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, people like, are like, what are you guys doing? I'm Jake the Rover. My life goal is simple. WWE star called Mr. America. My name is Leslie Carls. My nickname is The Panda, and I run this ship. Nick Just Nick. Can I get a Midday Squares? Midday Squares Uncensored. You know what it is. We talk about entrepreneurship, family business, chocolate, and whatever fucks are on our mind. I do want to remind everybody, guys, we put so much effort into this podcast because we love hanging with y'all. So if you can, go over to your Apple Music uh, where you listen to the podcast, leave a review, press like, share this. If you like it, share it. It's really important to help us grow this. And that's why we come and do it because we really, really love doing this. Today's episode, we're going to get into... So I was having a hard time getting inspired for today's show. And I hit up Jake and Les on Basecamp being like, hey, do you have any subject matters that are, you know, interesting to you right now? And Jake fired off like three to four good subject matters. And one really stuck with me. The Roaring Twenties. Oh, I like that. So I saw the headline, The Roaring Twenties. And I'm like, you know what? I really believe we are about to enter the Roaring Twenties. And today's show, I want it to be all about you. We want to talk about how you could get your piece of the pie in food CPG, how you could get out there and make money and prosper in these next 10 years of the, sorry, next nine years of the absolute roaring 20s. And so that is what today's show is all about. But as you know, before we get into the show, there's always housekeeping to be doing. So first off, <laughs> I, I do I do want to say uh, Les is, is a complete and other fucking mess this morning. There's coffee all over the table. I'm not sure what, what it doing. is. This is a leaky cup. Like it's actually a leaky cup. Um, everywhere Les, I please move, speak into the microphone. So everywhere I move this cup, there's coffee. I'm not sure what's going on. So it is what it is. We're gonna live and let. We're gonna let it be. Can we let the okay. coffee be? Just well, let, let the, it. Just let the let coffee be. be. Let it go. It's okay if the the, the table looks messy. How are you doing uh, today? I'm feeling great. Um, I got a good rest last night. Yeah. Um, actually, I have my apnea doctor tomorrow. I got to try to convince them to give me the machine without. Just buy the machine at this point. Uh, no, you need a prescription. It's very complex. No, no, no. I have a person. Okay, you okay. Can speak we'll talk post later. Show. T- we'll talk post show. But what really hyped me up this morning is these goggles um, that Jake needs to order from Amazon. These retro goggles because he gets pollen in his eyes Jake, when he you, runs in the morning now. Why do you want to? Why do you? want to wear goggles exactly Wait, why do you have an eye doctor appointment after this specifically there's nothing wrong with your eyes 
No, no, there's a lot wrong with the eyes. Here we go with the the peanut gallery is back, guys. The peanut gallery. I think you have is, autoimmune disease. I do. Thank you very much. Peanut gallery decides to become doctors when they want to become doctors. You know, no more chocolatiers, but we're gonna have doctors in the house. Um, no. Recently, my eyes been getting smoked, like literally feeling like it's burning out of my eyes and I can't see. So I think you know it's the pollen in the morning because some people don't cut their grass and the pollen just flares. And I actually have a manual convertible car where you manually remove the top. And um, I've been using it to get tanned. You crank it with a hand? Like, no, how is it, what is a manual? It's a double clip. So <laughs> okay. unclip it. And then you flip, the, you flip the roof back to double motion. So I use it to actually tan. So why I like the manual convertible is because, you know, be living in Montreal, we don't get that much sun. So in the summer, I'm talking like actually like May, early May, you flip it over and you literally just bake in that sun. And what's beautiful about it is that you come out tanned. But the problem is, is the wind dynamics of the con- manual convertible is not made like a typical convertible where they block out things. So what happens is you have the pollen fly in the eyes. And it's I've never, almost like a catcher. It's horrible. Like a pollen exactly, catcher. I'm a pollen catcher. And then <laughs> No, I never bought a pair of glasses in my life, right? So I've never had the opportunity to have glasses. So now when we came in this morning, the eyes are burning. You guys are asking why I have optometry appointments. Well, the pollen in the eyes has affected my life. (laughs) So we came up with the solution that there was a gentleman in Space Jam's original that wore goggles. And we're going to get that up in the show notes because it's very important that you see. So Jake is going to be buying these goggles and he'll be wearing them while he drives his Jeep. <laughs> I feel like we need a few of those photos post-show. Yes. Honk me if you see me. You'll know it's me. Okay, in, in a more serious note. Well, how um, are you, Tits? Yeah. Yeah, I'm fucking great. Uh, I, I told you guys, so everybody, my half my brain is going to be gone until September. I'm starting to actively prepare for our next raise, uh, which is which is a big one, you know. I do want to say we're going to hit 10 million of revenue this year. I'm very excited about that. That's a huge, huge win for Midday Squares. But my, yeah, so I'm preparing for, uh, you know, you guys have heard me say it before. It's either going to be an IPO or not an IPO or a private placement. But in order to do it, I have to do both. So my brain, I feel it. I know right away when I'm actively losing half of my brain to being present. And it's 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 slowly happening. I basically lose my husband yes. for the next four months. Correct. That is true. That is true. It's good. Like when you speak to me. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, it's good. You're thrilled. <laughs> When you speak to me during this time period, my brain is just like, I'm not, I'm completely, you could see there's like a glaze over my eyes and I'm, I'm almost not present. These are the times to not trust Nick in a car. Like yeah. you oh, can't, can't drive, drive with him. You cannot drive. Even uh, Cam noticed it. Yeah. It's, that he's it's, is half. Oh, it's uh, dangerous. He goes through reds and like doesn't realize it's red. He doesn't know it's red or a stop. Are colorblind? <laughs> yes, I am yeah, colorblind yeah. too, but we could get into that at a different time. Um, and I'm reading a book called The Road to the IPO. It was sent to, do you remember the gentleman o- who sent Oliver, it? Oliver. Oliver Columbo, right? Yeah, Columbo. Yeah, from, yeah uh, Oliver, a uh, gentleman from Switzerland, a uh, banker who's, who's, you know, just epic, sent us this book. And it's called The IPO Playbook. It's about the gentleman who took um, Salesforce Public, Yex Public. Honestly, couldn't have come at a better time. Anybody that is even remotely interested in the IPO process, buy the book. It's called IPO Playbook. If you're interested in taking your company uh, public, it's literally step-by-step playbook of how to do it in the most epic way. So uh, thank you, Oliver, for sending that. I really appreciate it. Jake, I see you got a book on your table too. Yeah, I recently just finished this book called The Hype Machine by Sinan Arl. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Sorry if I said it wrong. 
really cool book about the the behind the scenes of social media and why targeting can change behaviors and how little little manipulations can change huge outcomes. And you kind of get really deep into it. And it kind of made me fascinated with social media. It talks mostly, mostly about Facebook, but you really start to learn how the whole thing came about and kind of how how powerful the engine is. And, um, how and it the, the engine is driven by data, correct? It's all data driven. And um, you have scientists have created ways to literally predict your next moves. And it's scary, but really cool too. So could either, this book's all about either peril, which means really bad, or greatness. And it's how we balance that as a, as a whole. And it's not just the science and machine learning. It's the human behavior as well that's committed. So it's it's a both, it's not just machine, it's human and machine together can create either peril or, or greatness. I think that's true for everything that's great, right? Like nuclear power uh, brings some of the greatest successes that we'll ever see in terms of energy efficiency, but it also paved the way for the nuclear bomb that causes mass destruction, you know? So there's always these paradoxes in great technology. You like that word paradox? I love paradox. My whole life is a paradox, but I'm actually not reading anything right now. But what I am doing is watching Handmaid's Tale. I love it. I actually restarted the season and tonight there's a new episode live, 9pm, so that's where I'll be. You're killing it. So going into the show, (laughs) the Roaring Twenties. That word fires me up. Oh, because because it's before it's you start the Roaring Twenties, do you know that we're in the Twenties too right now, which is even crazier? Yeah, yeah, no, we're in the Twenties. We're hundred years later. Yeah, it's the hottest is, thing. Uh, well, this it's is a champagne 20s, birthday. Yeah, bit. it's a champagne. I don't know what that means, but it's a champagne <laughs> birthday. Our future people will talk about us in the Twenties the same way we spoke about people in the nineteen twenties, which is just fucking epic. And that's why I asked you yesterday to think about something. So. In starting Midday Squares, we've learned so much now. No, like we came in, we had no idea what the fuck we're doing, still to a certain extent learning as we go, but we've learned so much. So my question to you to start this conversation off and to get people's minds buzzing today and leaving this show wanting to go make money in the CPG food industry or anything really, because a lot of the stuff we'll speak about you can apply everywhere else is if we took midday squares out of the equation, pretending like it never existed, but you got to keep the knowledge that you just gained since we've started this business. How would you best prep yourself to make money in the upcoming Roaring Twenties? Where would you go with it? And Les, you're looking at me, so that means- I'm we're gonna, actually gonna have you start. Well, I'm gonna start. Yeah, yeah, you're always, you're gonna start. What do you mean? I wanna hear what you would do. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, guys, that's a that's a curveball. Yeah, I yeah, wasn't, I wasn't curve expecting ball. that. Okay, so I'm gonna. There's there's a few a few things that I would uh, would like to to say, and I want to talk about these. Which is, I think a lot of people think that the only way to make money in the CPG business is to create a brand, and that is really false. So, I, when I was thinking about it coming to the show, I really distilled it down to three things is you either create a brand, you manufacture for other people, uh, or you reverse engineer product development for big companies. Now, the third one's where I want to start because I find this an easy way to set yourself up for success without necessarily huge investment. We went to Bentonville. Bentonville, for everybody that's listening, is literally the home of Walmart. It's, you go to that city, they run the entire city. It is Walmart City for all intents and purposes. The weirdest thing, though, is that everywhere I speak to 
in whether it's people I'm meeting on Twitter, different entrepreneurs have never been to Bentonville. A lot of people like do not go see it the way you would, you know, like a lot of people have been to New York, a lot of people have been to LA. What I did realize though is that the anti-willingness to go to Bentonville is exactly where the opportunity lies. And so if I went back, broke his nails, back to like having to start from scratch, I would literally move to Bentonville with a backpack. And my one sole job would be to begin networking in that city. Because everywhere you go, whether it's restaurants, top golfs, uh, you name it, you rub shoulders with either Walmart executives, Walmart buyers, Walmart analysts. And one thing while we were in Bentonville that I was speaking about when we were speaking with the buyer or the, the, the gentleman we were working with, or we even met uh, the head of sales for Harry's, the razor company that lives in Bentonville, is that Walmart has data and they are willing to literally teach you what they need. So let's say you become somebody that's enthralled in the Bentonville organization. You can literally create a relationship with a buyer and ask them, hey, tell me what you guys believe is the next best thing and let me go create product. Let me go create a program of how your data will translate to me bringing you a product. And then you start making phone calls and you start doing that networking. The two things that I've realized is that and this will be the last piece on this whole move to fucking Bentonville pitch, is when Walmart bought Jet.com, Jet.com had their whole headquarters in New York City. And Walmart has now unified buying. So up until I think last year, Walmart and their Walmart.com had two entirely different buying uh, strategies and the buyers had different budgets. So they've unified it now. They're like, this is stupid. We have so much data. Like, why would we not have all buying decisions be in one area? They brought it back to Bentonville. Everybody that was in, like, up, like maybe 2% of the New York office moved to Bentonville. Nobody took the packages that Walmart gave them. Because there's this misconception that, like, Bentonville is, like, this fucking middle of fuck nowhere nothing. No, it's a beautiful city. It's got action. And guess what? Because Walmart's there, you have people from all walks of life. You have people from L.A., New York. You have it's, – it's the place, guys. It is the place for prosperity. So if I had no money to invest and I was broke and I needed to start from scratch, I would literally buy a one-way ticket to Bentonville and park my fucking ass there. And in five years, I guarantee I'd be a millionaire. Yeah, you know, and also Walmart's building a new campus um, in Bentonville that's, I think they're spending like crazy billions on the campus to now attract more talent that, you know, you saw on Google campuses, Facebook campuses, Shopify campuses where they built these gorgeous facilities. Walmart is now building the next one. I think it's acres on acres the size. And I, we drove by it and it was really cool to see the, the infrastructure being built. And it's going to be no longer – it's no longer Walmart old school. It's like they're moving into like the fun new school stuff because they are one of the greatest retailers, probably the greatest retailer in the world in my opinion. And um, I'm excited for their future. They're still number one. They do eight, what are they going to do? Nine hundred billion dollars of sales this year. But forget about it. They're moving. They also want to start grabbing other groups from other retailers. Let's just speak grocery, CPG, food. Is they're take? They're trying to grab Whole Foods customers. They're trying to bring in organic, premium products because their data is showing that the customer is willing to pay for the product 
and do it. And we're learning. We're watching this very carefully. Midday Squares is watching the data very carefully on where our peers and competitors are in the store and how they're growing. We're seeing extreme growth from, from products that aren't $1.99 or $0.99 cents, that are $3, $4 for a similar product to ours. And this goes to show that Walmart is now moving with the times. Mm-hmm. And they used to be a hardware store where it's hard goods and the margins are way higher on hard goods. If you look at the stores now, they're turning into grocery stores because even though it's lower margin, I think it's grabbing the most amount of consumers to go there because at the end of the day, hard goods you can go buy on Amazon. Groceries and freshness to see it is something else. And I think that's where Walmart has its chance to continue to be number one or compete hand on hand with the other great. Yeah, Amazon. It, it's crazy. And, you know, so many people talk about how do I get into Walmart? Like, is this a big secret? Guys, just go to fucking Bentonville. Get on a plane. I don't I don't understand. But I, don't I go was, too early. Yeah, don't go too early. But it's never too early to make relationships in Bentonville. Um, so that's my play in the Roaring Twenties. What's your play? Well, who wants to go next? Les or Jake? Jacques, go for Kay. it. Okay, Les, you don't know the answer. That's <laughs> no, why I do. No, I kidding. actually have, I have two great so, answers. So for Food CPG... Um, I would definitely bring this new this new way of storytelling. Um, I would go partner with a brand, um, a current great product, so something that has the product market fit. Because there's a lot of pro- there's a lot of products out there that do have product market fit, oh but my God, yeah. but they do the same shtick that every other brand does. So I'm gonna do a LinkedIn post today about this specifically. How you're seeing everyone copying the same type of content. It's like okay, this this banana is yellow and it has potassium. It's like babe, we get that. How many times do you want to show us that? Mm-hmm. I want to take what we learned from here on you, on the whole idea of storytelling, but good storytelling and apply it to other brands and learning the authenticity of the brand and then showing that outwards and then using the data that we can get from the world today. So you can get retail data, you can get data from online, you could target like we discussed before. Targeting consumers is the craziest thing in my opinion. It's mind blowing and I'm learning as we go. I would use all that to take a product that already fits the market and actually build it up. But the problem is it's not going to be the Midday Squares way. What I mean by that is Midday Squares does it in our authentic way to tell the story of entrepreneurship. We do that through our podcast. We do that through our social media channels. It's not going to work for another brand necessarily. But I, I am confident enough that I can identify through listening, learning, and watching brands who they actually are inside and let that inside explosion come out. Because like we said, relatability and attention is the hardest thing to get in this world. You can't buy it. It's almost impossible to buy, but you can get it by understanding people. And that's it. No, I think, but I think that's super interesting because I never thought about it that way. I think a lot of times when we think about getting into uh, a business or an entrepreneurial endeavor, we think that we have to start. But you're absolutely right. I see, how many times do we talk that we're at either a farmer's market or I'm on Amazon, literally Amazon, and I see a a really cool brand. And for whatever reason, they're not exploding, but they're incredible product. The branding's a bit off sometimes, but sometimes it's on, but sometimes it could be off, but there's, there's magic there. And you're just like, wow, this could be huge. I think that's what you mean, right? Is like that that's the that's probably what you're looking for to jump into. I'm going to blow your mind even more right now, both of you. Um, and everyone, <laughs> all, every audience here. No, cuz I hope Bring you guys it. will remember. I hope you guys will remember no, I'm this. I'm freaking out. This is 4 years ago. 4 3 to 4 years ago before Midday Squares. I think it was 4. When I would come to you guys about Chase and Hunter, so the the old business I did with the promoting college campuses, fun party whatever, you guys would always veer the conversation towards the end of the conversation to be like, you know, you should look, you guys, you should look at working with another company and bringing that hype community feel 
and go apply to some amazing companies out there that are doing amazing things and you'd fit right into it and do what you do best. And to me, that, that, that concept was foreign. It was crazy that you guys want me to kind of, you know, switch over and do something else. But you had this idea implemented in my mind that go apply in California, go apply in New York. There's amazing opportunities. And you, Leslie really hounded that idea down in my head. But if you look at it, it's exactly what I did with Midday Squares. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 100%. So I would do the same thing, find people like you guys out there. Yeah. And go help them do that aspect. Holy it's shit. Thing. That's a mind. F- are we in the movie Inception? Fuck, I love that movie. That, you, just went th- <laughs> you just went three layers for it. It all came full circle. So you're absolutely right. When Jake yeah. was running his business, Jason Hunter, we did have a lot of those conversations. And yeah, Les was the one hounding it down. It was like the great was greatness was there. And there was entrepreneurs out there that needed that greatness to be plugged into them and supercharged. And, and that's what you did for Midday Squares. So fuck, yeah. Well, hey, that, that's pretty, <laughs> that's fucked hot. up. Les. So uh, there, I have two things. Um, for me, if I was to be doing something completely different right now at Midday Squares, uh, than Midday Squares, um, I, there, so I have a passion project that I really want to do. And then I have, okay, I need to turn a dollar and make money, right? Because if I was, I would have no money and I would need to figure something out. I do want to remind you, I want you to spill the juice of how to make money in the Roaring Twenties based on the knowledge you've learned. So then not the passion. It's not about the passion. Okay, so we'll get in that another time. No worries, no worries. So then what I would do is basically, I'm similar to Jake. Um, There's a brand that I have in mind, I'm not going to say the brand um, on today's show, that I consume all the time. Okay, I discovered this brand through Nick's mom um, and I'm obsessed with it. And the product is amazing and it has some distribution points, but it's lacking brand and it's lacking storytelling in its own way and it's lacking lacking character. And so for me, the first thing I would do is fly to Italy where this brand is from and I would, I would pitch them on reinventing the whole look, reinventing the concept, and then I would basically story tell my way into actually um, college students life because I feel that the product is so easy and so good so that would be my whole pitch so I would do the same I would actually um, go to brands that I see serious potential that I know their product is fucking amazing Um, they have distribution points but they're missing the one thing that I know I can bring to the table which is creativity brand development and um, and uh, exactly so that's what I would do so you do the same thing as Jake I would do the same thing i would take all the knowledge that i've learned here on how to build a business and how to get a brand out there and how to actually make a brand and then i would uh go offer my services for a brand that i'm very very passionate about. because we're on the show it's got to be more interesting than that you can't do that so what are you doing next if i can't do that because jake already took that if i can't do that then i would basically uh figure out what So I have a list in my phone of things, of problems that I would like to solve um, that I experience every single day. Um, And I would go out and activate on those things. Like I wouldn't, I would take all my learnings from this business and I would try to solve more problems that I feel need to be solved. I'm going to help you. Okay. Manufacturing is your expertise. Yes. Right now, so we were talking the other day and we found it. So Les and I were literally speaking the other day in our house and this was one of the most interesting things is my brother called me and there was a lot going on in the gummy space. Okay. Gummies and vitamins and not this are, are massive. And we met a gummy manufacturer 
in that makes the machines when we were at our last machine show. Right now, the, um, the data, again, back to data, is showing if you want to create a gummy business, whether it's a vitamin business or a business that's alternative candy, any of that stuff, the wait list to even get your product manufactured is almost like a year and a half, two years with co-manufacturers. So what does that tell you? Go make a manufacturing plant to Woo! go do it. That is exactly that's what it good tells advice you. To someone out there that but wants to yeah, start for that. For me, I w- that, see, that's a very you move. I would say that you would find the data behind that. And if we were partners, I would build the brand and you would you know, bring, that to the, bring the idea to the table. Right. But I think my real expertise, yes, it is manufacturing from that standpoint. But I think what I really, really bring to the table is brand. You know, and I think that that's where I would probably end up. So I think that comes down to our, our, our creating a brand, which is t- today is in order to create a brand is almost wipe out the playbook of the late 90s, early 2000s. It's like just make sure that you can have a great product behind you mm-hmm. and then start shouting about it and using the ranks of the web to or, or, or our phones to, to make sure that it's getting in front of the right people without spending much energy on it. Go ahead and then I'll add to that. Yeah, no, I was saying that I think that if we get into the details of how to find what people are looking for, we could talk a little bit about Google Trends. We could talk a little bit about distilling how to find and how to get into rabbit holes of what the population wants. And you talk about data. Social media is one component, but you have the internet and Google Trends and ways to, you know, ask Google questions or ask Google Trends questions and find out, okay, Let's say if we take the gummy bears, right? Let's distill the gummy bears. Oh, I, I do. Okay, I want to go into that. deeper. Yeah. I do want to go but deeper. Into that. Before you go into that, um, I wanted to add something really important is people always made fun of me at the beginning of this for us shouting out loud, working out loud is the word, I guess. And only now, once the success showed in terms of what I mean by success is some magnitude of selling product and, and community building. They now agree with it. It's the weirdest thing. So it's like, don't put people down for shouting out loud. Shouting out loud creates this, this alternative world that you can, you could feel something, you could see, you could be part of. If you don't work out loud, how is that supposed to show, in my opinion? This isn't necessarily a donation to a, a cancer research or something like that where some people don't want their names on it. We like to work out loud. We want to show that it's possible to go out there and win and build something, right? And the way we do that is to actually show everything that's going on. That is working out loud, not behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I mean, at the end of the day, there, there's no doubt. If working in public uh, has proven that in today's day and age, almost always leads to great success. It's building in public. Um, and I think the point that you were bringing up, Jake, that people have to get over uh, to just wrap that thought off going into the roaring 20s and, and exploding your brand is that nobody wants to be first to the dance, but somebody has to show up right for the dance to start populating and then notoriously once the cool kids see that it's filled they start to come right and that's what you mean is at the beginning you're going to be ridiculed but then when everybody else sees that everybody else is okay with it then they're okay with it so push through that on the brand speaking but in order to get to making a brand we got to get data to figure out what kind type of a brand we're going to make now um so i i love that you brought up google trends i do want to say one more thing on the machines guys on the gummy machines the only reason why i know this information is because i spoke with the people that build gummy manufacturing machines there's this group out of chicago that i met at the show now they have the data he was able to tell me that the waiting lists are so long right now for co-manufacturers that he told me that he would actually literally be able to start funneling me business 
if we bought the machine. Wild. Now, I know that you would say, hey, that's a catch-22. He's just trying to sell you the machine. Yep. But I trust the guy. And I've made a judgment call that he's not bullshitting me because I see what's going on in the industry. And so that data is pretty conclusive of, hey – you can buy a machine. Now, you, the listener, might be being like, well, that's fucking expensive. Not true. There's entry-level machines. There's medium-sized manufacturing lines, and there's large. To be honest, the small $30,000, $40,000 machine that makes this stuff, yeah, you're not going to be able to do big runs, but you're going to be able to supply all of the founders that want to start these companies that can't afford big orders. Mm. There's a monster amount of founders out there that are like, I can't afford a big run right now. So- you know, data doesn't need to just come from the new school technology. It's like pick up the fucking phones and start calling well, people that make machines. Say, I love that. And, and even before that, right, where did you find this person? At a trade show. Trade show. I was just on a call with a founder um, last week. She's making protein tea. And uh, she doesn't have a product yet. And anyways, I told her, you know, start messing around in your kitchen and make, a, uh, you know, a demo of what this tea is going to be. Whether it's going to be good or not, you need to figure that out before you're deciding are you manufacturing or are you co-packing. But anyways, she had said, what do you recommend me to do for, you know, uh, supply chain and raw materials or potential equipment? I said, go online. Google the trade shows that are happening this year. A lot of them are virtual, so it's a lot less expensive. And just walk the shows. You you don't need answers, but that's where you're going to network. That's where you're going to meet people. If you sometimes don't even know where to start, but you want to be in the CPG world, go to a trade show. Get inspiration. Yeah. Did you know we're going to our first trade show, Expo East, which is on phys- physically? No. Guys, we... Expo West is right now and no one's talking about it. Sorry, not no one. There's people talking about it, but it's not, it's not a thing. We decided actively, our sales team decided we are not going to attend because if Midday Squares is making a debut old school style, we make noise. Yeah. We work out loud. Dance. And we need to have fun. So guess what? September Expo East, if you are listening, we are coming in so hot. Woo. And it is an old school trick in the book. Human relationship, roaring 20s, people want to meet again. Yeah. Oh. I, I literally can't wait for the shows to come back. So 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 finish the thought on the show, though. So, yeah, I think trade shows is a great place to start if you're also, you know, if, if you're the type of person that wants to actively get up and go. So just get up, go to the trade show, network, talk, get inspired. There's so many cool things happening there that might trigger something. And then you could like, you know, you ran into this gummy supplier from there. Then you can go and hit Google and see what, you know, what 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 it really is. You don't always have to take people's word at face value. Value. You go take their word and do your research. Now, I'm going to get into the real juice of data. And Jake, then I want to segue into what you're learning a little bit about data on that aspect as well, too, of how powerful this shit is. So Les brought up a good point. We got Google Trends. is free, ladies and gentlemen. In the 80s and 70s, and Jake will explain to you this, the average person did not have access to data. It was high, high, high up political leaders or agencies that were in it or just people that had money because you had to go out and pay big dollars for these computers that would process the data. We, when we talk about, everybody talks about the internet and, and they use the word democracy. Internet has bought democracy. What do they really mean by that? It's information democracy. Shared information. The average human being that has access to the internet now has access to data for free that is more predictable than probably any point in the entire human human history. Okay? And I want to get into 
how to use that data. And before so, I just want Jake to get into, you know, tell me about this computer in the 80s. Just to distill to our listeners how expensive and hard yeah. it was to even do so this. It was actually in the 50s and 50s and 60s. IBM came out with the 704. Um, if you guys could Google it, it actually played chess against um, this guy, Albert Bernstein. I think Alex Bernstein played chess against it and actually played chess back. But what was really cool about the data in that time was it was very expensive. And, and these computers were like not like the size of this room, like quad the size of that, maybe even bigger. And it was very expensive to have. So you had limited amounts. You had some at MIT, you had some at Harvard that they, they owned them and people would rent them and They're use prestigious. them. They're prestigious. And now we all have computers. But what's crazy is, is that in the 60s, John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, won the election against Richard Nixon. I think his name's Richard Nixon. By using data at the time, they found out a way to get voters information by asking questions and then simulating it, simulating what response would do what and what behavioral change would come. John F. Kennedy won by a marginal win. I think it was 0.2% in the 60s. He wasn't supposed to win. He won because he listened to the computer computer geniuses called simulatics, simulmatics. I can't pronounce it because they botched the word completely. We'll get the Wikipedia on yeah. this, on, on it. 60s, 1960s, they used the data to get John F. Kennedy in power, which means John F. Kennedy represented the, the one of the greatest countries in the world, the United States of America, because of data, data, Ooh. data, data. That is the modern, they use the old school way to what it is today on how we all use it to, for purchasing behaviors, for political voting, for misinformation that goes out there for the negative side. And I just think that data is, is king and what they say. So this is how you use it to fucking make money. It, there's two tools that I, I need you guys all to no, note down. You have Google Trends and Hrefs. Uh, spelled A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. One's free and one's 129 bucks a month, I think. The $129, the ROI on this thing, massive. So I just wanted to have fun coming into today's show to just explain how important this is to get into consumer psychology. So one of the areas I think there's huge opportunity to mine opportunity, to figure out opportunity, is thinking about the way you search Google. So... We go into Google when we want to find stuff or research stuff. And often when I'm looking for something that doesn't exist per se yet, but I'm curious to know if it exists, I'll write something XYZ alternative. So I just took the word alternative because for me, the word alternative psychologically represents a word that someone would use in Google when they're looking for something that may not exist already. So I put an alternative and... The href software spits out all of the search terms based on how much volume that they're generating. So more volume equals more interest um, of all the different combinations of how people are using the word alternative in search. And I saw this one really big trigger, which was coffee alternative. And when I looked at it, the competitive score, which hrefs gives you, is kind of um, an indication. It's not... It's not perfectly black or white, but it's an indication if the score is low in the competitive score, it usually means there's not a lot of buzz around it. There's not a lot of people competing on the keyword, which is interesting, right? Coffee, we know how big of a market that is. It's fucking massive, the coffee market. And here we have perfect intent. I think up to 9,000 people per month are looking for a coffee alternative. But that got me thinking even deeper. And so I said, well, are people looking for energy alternatives? 
Well, because what do you drink coffee for? Right, for energy. Mostly for stimulant, for energy. And some people like the hot experience in the morning, right? Yes. Like the cup of coffee. The idea, you know, the idea. Yeah, the idea. The donut pouring. or coffee, baby. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But you, it's beautiful because you're getting into psychology right, right. now, right? Because that's a habit. That's a routine. That people love coffee for the routine. That's it. So I took the coffee alternative and I wanted to play further with that. And I started going into the word energy alternative. Oh, my God. Data started to unravel. People want energy alternatives. There is a massive demand for people that want energy and they don't want to consume caffeine in any shape or form anymore. Not through energy drinks, not through coffee. They don't want caffeine. They want other things. And then that brought me to, holy crap, there's this whole thing in mushroom extracts. So then I see this keyword of mushroom extracts and I go deeper into the mushroom extracts and people are looking at the mushroom alternatives for energy. And then I start going into that and you see companies like Four Sigmatic. Mm-hmm. Why was Four Sigmatic so successful? Because there was a, a need. It, yes. Product market fit. There was a product market fit. But everybody needs to know that there's a million of these product market fits here. And in literally five minutes, <laughs> we uncovered that people want caffeine alternatives. So ladies and gentlemen, if you are listening to this, all you have to do is go figure out how are you going to deliver a consumer a better experience than coffee or from an energy sp- standpoint, how could you deliver them energy? If you're competing against coffee, to Les's point, there's deeper psychology. You have to figure out how to tap into the, the ritual. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say that this goes back to kind of what I was saying before of how to enter into the roaring 20s, which is, Okay, I mentioned solving my own problems on my to-do list. But if you go to Google Trends, a million people are searching for their problems. Oh, my. Right? Yes. And you're now going to figure out how to solve their problems. And what's crazy in Google Trends is you just put in a keyword and they, they segment it into two things. They segment it into the keywords, but then they also show you trending, all like recent stuff. And that's how we uncover these crazy like things. And I do want to get into one more example, but Jake, I, I see you want to say something on that subject I, matter. I just think that we talk about the Roaring Twenties, but we never explained why. Why is it the Roaring Twenties? Why is it the Roaring Twenties? Simple. We are about to turn the page on a pandemic and people are going back to work. America is going back to work, which means... They are going to be busy, means lunch places, coffee shops, gyms, activities that we did previous are going to start to happen again, which means that people are going to go back into that routine and excited about it. That means even gathering with friends, socializing. Guess what that means? Let's go to a bar together. Let's do this stuff. People are spending what they don't even have. They don't even have, but we are about to enter into an era. I think Q3, Q4, we're going to see exactly what they saw in the 20s. That's why we call it the 20s. It's going to be a wave of spending and enjoyment, but the difference Pent up the, demand. The difference is, is that we all want the joie de vivre back, joy of life. So people are craving. It's like the pent that you're talking about. It's craving that we want to hang out. We want to have fun. We want to go to a bar. We want to go. We want to go to theme park. We want to go to this. So they're all going to go. It. A like lot of people are just going to go. Yeah. So I did want to say one thing though on the whole idea of data and information, and that's how Midday Square started. You know, I was making a version of midday squares of the fudge, yeah. But Nick stumbled upon really important data. And that data drove us to identifying that there's a, a product that we have, a version of a product that we have that the market wants. And that's how it all came together. Why don't you talk a little bit about the data that you stumbled so, upon? So, but I think this is really important to say. Data is just one thing. And Jake, you brought it up before. In the election, it was not just data. It was data and people. Yeah. So when we read data... Okay, midday squares, this is literally 
we speak about it a lot, but I want to really instill the success we are having at Midday Squares is not by accident. It was really thoughtfully planned. And part of that thoughtful planning was that we mined data prior. Now, the data showed us that the real chocolate industry was growing at a massive rate and that the plant-based protein market was continuing to roar. Where data doesn't say the truth, right, is if you took those two data points, and I believe this is why a lot of people missed the opportunity that Midday Square seized. Pattern recognition, though. Yes, but the, the, the main point, though, of why humans are so important in the data was that when you looked at real chocolate, the properties... Many people would go into the aisle and say, Nick, that already exists. Les, that already exists. Jake, that already exists. There's a million uh, vegan protein bars with chocolate. Nuh-uh. If you don't look deeper into it, I understand why you see that. But here was the key that I believe everybody missed. And this is what I, and I want all of you to do when you're doing your research on data is we started to ask, what does real chocolate mean? I started, we started going into the data. We started to realize that there was one main thing. Every brand that was mentioned in the report had the exact same property. They all looked like the original rectangle Hershey's bar. And they were all chocolate only. They were all thick in its nature. They had the snap. And they had a very distinctual mouth experience when you put it in your mouth and chewed on it. All, if I blindfolded you, they would all- Typical chocolate bar. Typical chocolate bar. Then we go to the, and also real had to be all cocoa. You couldn't use palm kernel oils. That was another big indicator. Then we go to the plant-based protein market. Guess what? That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist. It's only enrobed. It's enrobed chocolate. That's shitty little one millimeter enrobing. And mostly have palm Palm kernel kernel oil. oil. Yeah. And so it's not that it existed. It felt like it existed. But here's the last piece that I think I really want to make sure is that when I was speaking with Kara, our producer, and getting this show done, she was like, why do you think everybody missed? Like, why do you think nobody made that before? And the answer is laziness. Mm -hmm. The laziness of listening to manufacturers tell you how to run your business. Oh, yeah. You could talk to me about that till the fucking cows come home. <laughs> when you do product development and if you really want to innovate in the uh, the the CPG, ca- yeah, the food space, it is like inherent that you look to what consumers want, not what manufacturers want you to make. That was the fucking mistake. And the data had it in front at all points. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, like on the day to day, like I work with a lot of manufacturers, like ma- manufacturer machinists and all this stuff. They're very focused on what the market already has. Yes. And that's the thing. Like I'm dealing with someone right now. I'm not going to name the name. And they're like, oh, well, our machines can't do that. And I'm wondering to myself, why are you not innovating? They're like, well, that's the market always wants this. So that's what our machines can do. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't want that. So now I got to go find somebody else that is even willing to try something new or potentially even has the tools or the things to machine what I'm looking for, right? But it's like, that's the closed mindedness. Even the manufacturers are fixated on what the market already has instead of innovation. And, and you know, like on that note, guys, I think, I think you need to take this information from today and, and really internalize it and go out and explode. Like Jake said, the Roaring Twenties are here. There is pent-up demand. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss. Don't miss it. 
And I'm going to just distill it down for you what we spoke about in this show. There's three ways that we think that you guys can make money going into the Roaring Twenties in the CPG industry. And we're going to start with the least one is move to fucking Bentonville. Move to wherever major retailers have headquarters and just penetrate and work with them to create and get data and figure out what they want and then build. And if you don't have the money and you don't have the resources, just go and deal make. Make what they want come to life by partnering. Number two, manufacture for other people. Don't forget there is a massive market in manufacturing for other people. There's demand. There's people that want shit. And number three, which is creating a brand. And like Jake and Les said, you don't need to be the whole thing in creating a brand. You can find a company that needs you, that needs you to help them win. And and that's that's the magic of the Roaring Twenties. You know what's so crazy is as you were mentioning that and really distilling it down to the three points, I remember... Like, this happens maybe once or twice every two months. We get people asking if we can manufacture for the, for them. Yes. Like, and I always have to say, no, we're not a co-packer. But just there, we can br- probably uh, re- uh, generate a million dollars in revenue if we took on other. Yeah, Babe. I'm just saying if Babe. we talk about how to make a million dollars. Tens of millions. A lot. I'm just saying from what's currently come in and I denied right there. Boom. Here's a business. Yeah. Don't sleep on it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Three, two, one. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Ole, 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 ole. Ole, ole. Midday squares, the roaring 20s. It is here. It is live. Go out and get it.